but it is good to be back. I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing uh, among unreached people groups in places like Southeast Asia. Grateful for the opportunity to take part in just a little way in helping to advance the gospel among people that need desperately to hear it. Also very grateful for my two brothers, Stephen Mason and Scott Stringer, for filling in for me while I was away. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking care of this preaching time in our gatherings. It is always um, a mercy of God to be able to have people within to depend upon to handle God's word with care. And so I appreciate uh, these two brothers for doing that the last two Sundays. Well, today we are going to continue in week two of our new series called Life Together. Scott Stringer last week began this series as he uh, preached a message on the call to love one another. Uh, we're calling this series Life Together because that's exactly what these one another's teach us. How we as the body of Christ are to invest and to care for each other in a way that glorifies God. There are many one another commands in the Bible. In fact, there are, depending on how you count them, uh, about 39 in the New Testament. We're going to look at 10 of them. Don't panic. We're going to look at 10 over the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, they're important for us to understand because of how they inform uh, what our community as the body of Christ ought to reflect and look like. And so we're going to be looking at them. Today we're going to be looking at what I call, or what the Bible calls, being members of one another. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, that will be our text today, verses 3 through 8. In fact, uh, we'll be in Romans the next three Sundays after this as well because there are many, many different one another's that emerge from the latter half of Romans. Romans chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. This is the word of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgments each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Father, as we continue this series and as we open your word, Lord, would you help us understand what it means to be members of one another? Lord, as we consider what you have instructed through your servant, the Apostle Paul. Lord, as we, as we reflect upon this today, God, would you help us not just to understand it, but Lord, to, by your grace, strive to live it for the good of each other and Lord, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In his book entitled, What is a Healthy Church? Mark Dever tells this parable. Nose and hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service, led by ear and mouth, had just ended. And hand was telling nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. 
Really, Nose responded to Han's news. Why is this? Oh, I don't, Han said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than the other members of the church. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church, Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Han's answer. If the Hands couldn't see that Nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church body in the right direction, the body could do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Miss Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family. A minister of music ear meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that didn't interest us. Nose looked at him at this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Well, sure, but that's not for us. Then we attended Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was great to have you, Nose said. Thank you for coming. But everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get, work, get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on the east side. We hear they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained that he, what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But he again said that he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart began to reflect this. No, he had never burst into any open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had an effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, and they finally decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition to all of that, Miss Han knew that their daughter Pinky was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different. Mrs. Han said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership, but the conversation had already run too long for Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Han for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear for their departure, then turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they did not need him. You know, I read that parable years ago, and I thought, what, what a great illustration of how people today often view the local church. People today have been taught to come to the church with a consumer mindset, thinking that the church exists to provide goods and services to meet certain needs. 
The only issue with that is that that is not where the Bible lands. When you begin reading passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12, it becomes crystal clear that the Bible is communicating to us this picture of a body that is to be serving together for the sake of the gospel. When it comes to needs, sure, there are going to be needs that the church wants to address, but our greatest need is that of a Savior. Our greatest need is to be drawn to Christ, to be transformed by the power of the gospel, and to be mobilized for his sake. One of the greatest errors of the modern church has been to foster this consumer mentality within our culture. Instead of viewing the church from a consumer mindset, I would argue that the Bible calls us to see our role not as a consumer, but as a provider. What is this church about? How can I get involved and help further the mission of the gospel? Instead of seeing the church as solely existing for my needs. Well, here in Romans chapter 12, Paul makes this very important and clarifying point when he says in verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Can overemphasize the the oneness here, the, the unifying call. One body in Christ and individually members of one another. It's what we are. You are an individual. The Lord, by His grace, has saved and is brought into a body not to continue existing as an individual, but to be part of a greater body and members of one another. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be members of one another? What does that look like? Well, in this passage today, I want us to consider that question. I want us to consider what it looks like to be members one of another as we unpack several important implications of what it means to be members of one another. I want to point out three particular things today for us as we consider this call to be members of one another. Three important truths that emerge from this text that that you and I You and I ought to be pursuing by the grace of God for the good of this body and for the glory of God. Here we go. Being members of one another means that we are called to cultivate humility. We are called to cultivate humility within our own hearts and minds. Verses 3 and 4, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with soberness, sober judgments, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we come to the book of Romans, Romans, my favorite book of the Bible, it is a theological masterpiece. It is a beautiful description of the glorious grace of God that comes, on, uh, that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ to rescue sinners. But then it gives us some pretty clear instruction as to the, the fruit of that saving grace. So Romans is nicely divided into two halves. 
The first 11 chapters are a, a thorough, exhaustive treatment of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. It is a glorious, thorough treatment of the gospel, of how sinners are made right with the holy God. Chapters 12 through 16, the second half, if you will, is, a, is a, uh, an exhaustive, in, in many ways, not complete, not total, but, but pretty thorough treatment of the, the fruit of that gospel. So, so first 11 chapters dealing with how we are made right with God and the last half of the, of the book, 12 through 16, is what our lives ought to reflect as a result of this gospel, how we ought to live out our lives. So you have the grace of God in the first half and the commands of God in the second half and it's grace that fuels the commands. Don't get those reversed. It is not the commands that bring about the grace. It is the grace of God that fuels the command so that we can be obedient in a way that magnifies God. It's very important that you get that, that that order. So in verse 3 of chapter 12, Paul exhorts us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. He's calling us to forsake pride. And that is a fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. Don't think more of yourself than you ought to think. In fact, he's calling us to think with sober judgment. Remember where you have been brought from. Remember who it was you really were and are at the core of your nature, a sinner deserving of God's judgment. And yet God has gloriously rescued you through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no room for pride when someone understands the gospel. Understand you've been called to cultivate humility, to pursue humility in light of all that's been said about our salvation in chapters 1 through 11. So, so why does Paul deal with this? I mean, chapters 1 through 11 are clearly gospel-focused, theologically, uh, a theological treatment of salvation. Three verses later in the practical section, if you will, First thing he says out of the box is, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Paul knows, Paul understands the propensity for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. He understands that, that pride is a struggle that we have pre-conversion and post-conversion. I mean, how many of you, when you were saved, when you were brought to Christ, just all of a sudden became perfectly humble? Raise your hand. All of you, apparently, because you didn't raise your hand, right? Yeah, I mean, none of us. None of us. We all struggle with pride and even spiritual pride. And I think that's more specifically what Paul's getting at here is, is not just thinking of yourself in an arrogant way, but, but there's a spiritual element to this. Because the, the temptation is that because we are Christians, we are now in a better spot than we were, and there's even a temptation to think of ourselves more highly than we ought in a Christian way, if we're not careful. In St. Augustine's famous work, The City of God, he wrote, two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self, the former in a world glories, in a, in a word, glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. This is often our battle even after conversion. The love of God or the love of self. 
Paul is saying here, he is saying, because of the love of God, your love of self should greatly be brought to nothing, to to be brought down to nothing. Because of God's love, you should not have a love of self like you used to have. If you continue to have a love of self, you don't know much about the love of God. One informs the other. Now, I think one of the things that Paul is trying to to do here as he cultivates, is seeking to foster and cultivate this spirit of humility within his hearers is he's reminding us that we all, if you're in Christ, we all have the same story. Now, what I don't mean by that is that we all come by the same experiences or through the same upbringing or have the same struggles or have the same background. That's not what I'm saying. There's a variety of that within our midst. However, if you're in Christ, we all have the same story in that we all are sinners and we've been brought through the same person by the same grace of God to the same salvation to one body. That is a collective story that we share together through different situations and contexts and circumstances, yes, but we all have the same story because of the grace of God in Christ. He says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but with sober judgment. Then notice what he says. With sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't get tripped up on that last phrase, the measure of faith which God has assigned. It may sound to your English ears like he's talking about the quantity of faith. But what he's talking about is not a quantity of faith, but rather the measure that is faith. The, 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 the tool that he's using is, is the gospel. The, the fact that it's faith. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure that is faith that God has brought to you. Because of the gospel, because of Christ, you are called not to think more highly than you ought, but rather go back and look at Christ and understand it is through him and him alone that you have life, that you have salvation. Now, there can be many manifestations of pride within the church. We do not have time today. That's a whole other year-long sermon series if we're going to cover all of them, and we would not get it covered then. We know that pride really at the end of the day is the source of all sin. It, it really is. But when we're talking more specifically about about the struggle of spiritual pride within our midst, there are several examples that can come to the surface quite quickly within the context of a fellowship of believers. Some of the struggles that you will find that we struggle with as even Christians is that consumer mindset, to think that the church exists to meet all my expectations. If you're coming to Redeeming Grace thinking that, we will fail you today. You don't have to wait. We probably have already failed you. If you're coming with that kind of consumer mindset, you exist to meet my certain needs, therefore, we failed. That's one way that spiritual pride can manifest itself because it's about who? About me. I have these needs, therefore, the church needs to be coming alongside and propping me up. And friends, listen, we we want to do that. We want to come alongside and prop you up. We want to help you. We want to invest in you. We want to shepherd you and care for your soul. And we're going to strive by the grace of God to do that the best we can. But if you're coming with a consumer mindset that thinks that all of these boxes need to be checked for your sake, 
then not only will this church fail you, every church you go to will fail you in some way. There's the struggle of jealousy. Some will think that, or get in their mind, that, that others get special treatment in the church, and it seems to be that the same ones are always asked to do the same things. And we grow jealous. We grow hurt because this person's doing that, and I would really like to do that, but I've never been asked to do that. And again, where, where's the focus? It's upon self, pride. Some may be judgmental, thinking of yourself in a much better light than others. You may think, wow, I'm glad, like the Pharisee, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm not as bad as they've had it. Friend, can I just, can I just remind us all, you are not any more saved than the person beside of you. And you were not any less lost than the person beside of you. We all have the same story. It may emerge in different kinds of ways, and the grace of God has come upon all of us. If you're in Christ, listen, you are in Christ, period. So for us to grow judgmental, thinking of ourselves a little bit kind of uppity, looking down our nose at certain people because they don't seem to have their act together. Well, if they were truly Christian, they would be doing this more. They would be living this way. Friends, we're called certainly to, to encourage and exhort, but when we grow with that judgmental spirit, which leads me into the, the, the last one, we talked about being consumer, uh, having jealousy, being judgmental, and, and a critical spirit. We look down upon people who may not be living up to our expectations. Not God's expectations, our expectations. And so we grow with, our frustration grows within our hearts towards those who, who don't share the same level of zeal that we have for certain things. Many examples that I could think of that I've experienced. Certain people think that there are certain ways that you're to parent. And if that parent over there isn't doing the way that you're doing it, shame on them. There, there, are, there are certain convictions even of theological issues, and boy, we could go on and on for there. Schooling preferences. Some think if you don't homeschool, you're in sin. Some think if you don't go to public school, you're not a missionary. Some think that if you go to Christian school, you're holy. I mean, on and on we can go just with schooling preferences. Certain social issues, if so-and-so isn't bought into this social issue or that issue in a way that I am or the way that this person is, then we begin to grow with a critical spirit towards them, spiritual pride. We have to be careful. We could go on and on. Certain musical styles or certain this or that. In each of these, in each of these examples, what's happening is you're placing yourself in a better light. I deserve to be the one to ask to do this. I'm much more spiritually mature than this person because of this. I must be the only one that's spiritually mature because I'm the only one who seems to, to give thought to this. And there's a great danger in the church when we begin to, to grow frustrated towards people because they're not doing it our way. In his book called Accidental Pharisee, Larry Osborne picks up on the imagery of the body and puts it this way. He says, if you're an eye, you'll start to devalue the ears as ancillary and second-class appendages because they can't see anything. 
You'll attend some special vision conferences where you'll gather with other eyes to celebrate the beauty of sight, learn new ways to sharpen your vision, and listen to guest eyes bemoan the terrible blindness that ails the rest of the body. Eventually, you'll join a vision-focused church where you could study the latest in biblical optometry and congratulate yourself for your clarity of vision in a world gone blind, all the while hardly noticing that you and your eye friends can no longer do much besides see. You have no feet for walking, no mouth for talking, and no ears to hear anything but your own thoughts. Spiritual pride hinders and has killed many a church. Friends, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Remember, you've been pulled. We, together, have been pulled from the same muck and mire as everyone else. And it's only by the grace of God that you are what you are today. Remember that. Number two, we are called to value interdependent relationships. Make sure you write down interdependent, not independent. That's a big difference. That will throw the whole sermon off if you get it wrong. All right? We're called to to value interdependent relationships. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Notice the, the flow of thought here. One body, many members. Though many, one body. Did you get that? That's Paul's flow here. One body, many members, many members, one body. And individually members of one another. Listen, if you are a Christian, it is true that you are an individual believer in Jesus Christ, but you belong to a greater body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the the text that Dave read for us earlier, is one of the, the best illustrations we have in the entire Bible that explains the beautiful reality of the people of God who've been brought together as one body. Paul summarizes it here. He says, one body, many members, not all having the same function. That's true. We're called to to belong to a greater body. The reality is that God has put us all together here because we complement each other. Your strengths that you bring to this body are needed because there are certain weaknesses here. And there are certain weaknesses that you have that there are strengths that are here that will help you so that we all together can be walking forward in in the cause of the gospel. The hands need the eyes just like the eyes need the hands. Just think about football. I mean, each player contributes to the team in a particular way for the good of the greater whole. Imagine if you had football teams playing yesterday or today that only had quarterbacks. It wouldn't work. That's why we're called to be part of a greater body. This is why, friends, that, I want you to hear me clearly, this is why merely attending church is not fulfilling the biblical understanding of being part of the church. The church is not a function or an event you attend. It's not. But it is a 
body that you belong to. It's not an event. It's not something you go to. We, we say it all the time, don't we? We're going to church. Something that you belong to. The body needs you. And you need the body. We're called to value these interdependent relationships that God has ordained. This is God's design. This is not just something I'm saying is a good idea. This is the way God did it. This is the way God designed it. He said, I'm going to have one body, many different members. They're all going to contribute in a way that's helpful to to the greater whole for my glory. So therefore, this mentality that the church exists to serve me and me alone is false. If that is a mentality that you struggle with throughout the years, rid yourself of that. Pray for God to help you not to think in that way, but rather to think in a way of how you can be part of what the Lord is doing through contributing, through through being a provider. Number three. Being members of one another means that we are called to utilize our gifts. Verses six through eight. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So after acknowledging that the body consists of many members but with different function, Paul calls us to use our gifts. He says, let us use them. And our gifts are designed to edify each other and glorify God. You know what Paul is saying, calling us to be in verse 6? He's calling the church to be charismatic. Now, that's right, he's calling us to be charismatic. I just lost all the Bible church folks, they just about had a heart attack on me. And all you Baptist and Presbyterian background people are about to freak out. The Charismatics among us are about to rejoice and say hallelujah. The Greek word is charisma for gifts. So in that way, we are called to be charismatic by using the diversity of gifts that the Lord has given us in this church. So yes, we're called to be a gift-using church. He goes on to give a few examples. He says, prophesy, serving, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, acts of mercy. These are just a, a, a sampling. These are not an exhaustive list of got to be all of these things. These are just a sampling. And even if you look at these, you can see how each of these gifts really complement each other and somewhat, in some ways, some of them overlap. Re-emphasizing the fact that, that spiritual gifts are not intended for you to be gifted in this area and sort of have your little niche over here, this person gifted over here to have his or her little niche over here, and you all doing things sort of separate and opposite and maybe in contradiction to and, and not complementing one another. That's not the idea here. The idea is, yes, there are a variety of gifts. There are a diversity of gifts. God has gifted people in many different ways so that we can come together as a collective whole to bring God glory and to do the, the task that he's called us to do and to do it well. This is not the only place you see gifts listed. You can go to Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians to, to see other lists. But again, it's not an exhaustive list. These overlap and relate to each other. God gives gifts to all believers, and he says, let us use them. 
This is where we are unlike athletic teams, in, in a sense. Because in football, baseball, basketball, name the sport, you have only a select few in the game at one time. While the rest are on the sidelines waiting to go in and reserve or watching from afar, maybe never going into the game. You're just there to sort of fill a spot in case something bad goes wrong. Our game is different. In this game, everyone plays, period. Everyone plays. If you want a military example, there's no reservist in the kingdom of God. None. We're all active duty. We all have various roles. We all have various abilities and, 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 and different stages in life, certainly. But we all are called to contribute for the greater good. Friend, if you can be content attending church, but never being part of it through using your spiritual gift, you might not understand clearly the gospel. And the reason I make that connection back to the gospel, because we, we have it clearly for us in, in Scripture, whether you see it there in, in Romans, you certainly see it in other places, like Ephesians chapter 2. We love to go to this text to talk about the grace of God in our salvation. Verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And us Baptists like to stop at verse 9, don't we? It's by the grace of God we're saved. Praise God, it's by grace and not by works. Certainly. But there's a, another verse, and the word begins with, in verse 10, for, which means it's connected to verses 8 and 9. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? You tell me. Good works. We're saved by the grace of God so that we can be mobilized on the mission of God to, to good works. They're not unrelated. So with that being said, there's a place here, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, for everyone to serve. You may not believe me. You may say, Pastor, I've tried and I just, I'm not finding it. Well, you need to come and sit down with us more and let's talk further. There's a place for you. If God has brought you here, there's a place for you. Friend, if you're, if you're standing on the sideline desperately wanting in the game, we must talk. If you've tried talking, we need to talk more. We need to talk louder. Whatever it is we need to do, we want you in the game. However, if you are content being on the sideline, you need to repent. you're content just seeing church as an event to go to, content just being on the sideline, watching from afar, hoping that someone doesn't call you into the game. Friend, you have a lot to do in your own heart. You cannot be content remaining on the sideline or being in reserve. Friends, we have so much to do here. I, there's, there's so many things, and, and all the ministries right now want me to stand up and say, here's all the needs, we need your help. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prioritize a couple of them. We desperately need six to eight minimally set up people today. This happened today, all the seats and all that, with three people. We desperately need six to eight people to step up today Tom Williams, where are you at? Raise your hand. Bob, where are you at? He's somewhere. 
Those two guys, you go see them immediately after church and say, I can give you the next year. All we need is a six-month commitment. Six months. Every other month. You're on a month, off a month. So six months set up. We, we need you. We really do. And, and you don't necessarily have to be gifted <laughs> to put a chair in place. Although, they do it a special way. We, we need greeters. We need friendly faces, smiling faces. Some of you, you're not gifted at that. Others of you, others of you, we need your smiling, greeting face. Friends, we have opportunities to invest in our community over the next little bit. We have uh, an opportunity next week to serve at the fair, serving tables. We have sign-ups out there that are virtually blank. We need you to join in the team. We need your help. We need your service in events like that or in ongoing ministry. There's many opportunities for you to get plugged in. Being members of one another means that we're in this thing together. We are in this for one another's good and edification. We are in this for the good of our community and the gospel to go to the nations. And we're in this for the glory of God. Friends, we have an enormous mission to undertake, and it's going to take each of us understanding that we are members of one another. We're not isolated, individual, self-autonomous people that just happen to come to a Sunday event here. Part of a greater body. That's the work of God. When He saves people, He saves them into something. He doesn't just save you for heaven, just you. He saves you into his body so that you can serve together, so that we enjoy heaven together. Friends, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church does not exist as a spiritual food court for you to come get your fill on what most suits you. Rather, we exist as an army that's been called to mobilize for the sake of advancing Christ's cause in this community to the ends of the earth. And we need every single person doing his or her share. Just think. Just think how things could have been different for Mr. and Mrs. Hand had they not seen the church merely from the point of view of a consumer, but as a provider. And just think, had no's seen the hands as a vital, important part of the body and not so casually accepted their departure. But rather they saw that they needed each other. And that they're not in this for their own sake, but for the sake of one another and for the sake of God's glory. Friends, here's the point. We are a body comprised of hands, feet, arms, legs, fingers, toes, nose, eyes, ears. You name it. And none of us exist independently of the other. The hands need the noses and the noses need the hands. Because we are members of one another exactly as God has designed. So let's do that. Let's cultivate humility. Let's value these interdependent relationships that we've been called to value and, 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 and invest in, and let's use our gifts for the glory of God. It's what we're called to do. So let's do it. Let's pray.
Father, you are you are good, and Lord, we, we realize that because you are doing a work by putting together people, saving them from sin, saving them through the finished work of Christ, Lord, bringing them out of darkness, bringing them out of their bondage, bringing them out of their, their, their struggles of, of being held captive by the evil one, Lord. You're, you're bringing us out of that, Lord, but help us realize that you're not just bringing us out of something, but rather you're bringing us out of something to something. You're saving us from sin for something greater than ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would just help us be humbled by that fact this morning that, that Lord, we, number one, we didn't save ourselves, and number two, we couldn't. But Lord, help us to realize that you have saved us for something more than us. You've saved us for your glory. You've saved us and gifted us and equipped us to be on mission with you and serving each other and investing in each other in a way that is a beautiful picture of the body. Lord, help us not to realize that, help us not to, help us not to think of ourselves as disjointed or disconnected appendages, but rather a united body, diverse in all of the gifts that you've given, but yet coming together because of the gospel and for the sake of the gospel. Lord, help us to realize that this is not about us. This is about you. This is about your glory. This is about being members of one another for, for one another's good and edification. So, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts today to value this truth. Maybe you're, call, maybe you're stirring the hearts today to, to, to maybe consider more what it means to even be a Christian. Maybe there are people in this room right now that, that they're here today, they're not a Christian. They're just sort of exploring and, and seeking and, and trying to understand more about what this is about. Lord, I pray that as the body that we would reach out to them and care for them, be patient with them, love them. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open their understanding. Father, maybe there are others here that they feel like and, and are convinced right now that they're the ones standing on the sidelines. And it's time to join the game. It's time to get involved. It's time to, to do something well. And I'm not talking, Lord, about those who are already doing 20 things. Lord, I pray that, that they would not feel somehow guilted into doing a 20, the 21st thing. Father, you're calling us to be faithful. Maybe you're calling some today to, to, to solidify this, this truth through formal church membership. There are many ways that you could be at work right now, Father. I pray that our hearts would be humble, that we would be receptive, and that we would be obedient. So, Lord, would you help us now to be, to be members of one another because we have been brought together through the finished work of Christ. Lord, have your way in our hearts and lead us in your truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.